Well, actually, it's brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. And they've got pretty much everything there. If it's three title fights in one night that you want, tickets to UFC 245 are just two taps away. Or is it the angelic voice of Ariana Grande that you're after? Maybe you want both? No? Just me? Okay, anyway, they've got all of us covered. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of, well, actually, the Athletic MMA's podcast about MMA and other stuff. I was just in Sao Paulo this week to cover the activities of UFC on ESPN Plus 22, also known as Jacare versus Blahowicz. I think that's, I think I'm close enough. And uh, I think it's safe to say that we kind of really don't want to keep talking about that card. I mean, I have already basically erase that main event from my mind to make room for more relevant information like how do bonsai trees get made or why do waters hold paws when they're sleeping it's because they don't want to drift away from each other by the way i know so adorable but where was i oh yeah usc sao paulo it just it just wasn't that great was it i'll tell you a few things about it though other than welcoming yet another middleweight into the 205-pound division with a split decision over Souza, Blachowicz won something even more important, my comedic respect. I did not know much about him before this week, but Blachowicz turned out to be funny and witty. And seriously, follow him on Twitter. You won't regret it. I might get sued by Ben Folks and Chad Dundas for copyright infringement here, but he is now 150% my guy. Other than that, the highlight of the card was probably Charles Oliveira. He starched Jared Gordon, basically, to get a sixth win in a row. All of them finishes. He got his ninth performance of the night bonus, which is more than anyone else in UFC history, and the future looks bright. And it's worth noting that Oliveira is only 30, which I'm saying as someone who is also 30, is just so young. So young. Like, so full of life, you know? Like, he's got so much ahead of him. He's a child, really. 30? Yeah, I assure you, not old at all. Nope. I am not past my prime. I have not wasted all of my potential. And I am not making this about me again. Shut up. Well, now that we've got all of that out of the way, we can focus on what this episode really is about. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Laura Sanko after the fights on Sunday, and it was every bit as fun as I imagined it would be, at least for me. For you, it might get a little annoying to hear my constant giggling and my extremely obvious fangirling, but that's where we're at. You've been warned. Laura, for the lame people who might not know, uh, started her broadcasting career at Invicta FC, where she also had her one pro MMA bout in 2013. But I would say that her breakout moment, uh, broadcasting-wise, at least in terms of just more generalized attention, happened more recently with her role at Dana White's Contender Series. Laura does a great job as a reporter, interviewer, and I know this next word is super tacky, but I'm going to use it anyway as a storyteller. Laura also commentates, she's done play-by-play, and she kicks ass at all of it. Seriously, it's a little humiliating. But if I'm being honest, those aren't even my favorite Laura skills. No, that would be her immense creativity when it comes to clapping back at internet creeps. It is art, really. Laura and I talked about everything. She talked about how she had to drop out of her second pro fight because she got pregnant. I believe her words were... I pulled out because my husband didn't pull out. Yeah, it was that kind of talk. She talked about dealing with uh, postpartum depression and how finding a different path in MMA helped her. We talked about our experiences with imposter syndrome and with being underestimated and how we both actually kind of feed off of that. And of course, 
we talked about our feelings. It is my podcast after all. I don't know if you knew this, but Laura is actually a huge nerd. She worked in venture capital, which frankly, I don't even know what that means. I just pretend in conversation to sound clever. But anyway, Laura actually is clever and funny and just a really cool person to get to know. I hope you enjoyed this chat as much as I did. And if you don't, well, at least now you know why otters hold paws when they sleep. You're welcome. Guys, you know, I hate doing like the disclaimer thing, but I'm going to do a disclaimer because we're doing this post fight night on Sunday. So if we sound weird, that's what happened in my case. Obviously, I don't have a voice anymore. Could be the hard work, could be the booze, we'll never know. That's irrelevant. What is relevant is that I'm here with Laura Sanko, one of my favorite MMA people. Uh, Laura, I actually want to do like a Laura for Dummies for my five followers. <laughs> Some of them, <laughs> for all of those five of those people listening, some might not really know your story. What I was really uh, um, intrigued by is the fact that you have no journalistic training, right? Yeah. So going back to that a little bit, how, how did you end up in broadcasting it's it's definitely a uh, just a a case of doors opening and doors I wasn't expecting at all um the short version I'll try to keep it short is uh I was fighting um I fought for Invicta had a fight mm -hmm. and then um got pregnant my husband got me pregnant and that kind of <laughs> pumped <Happens>. the brakes <laughs> yeah I kind of pumped the brakes on the uh, the old fighting career for a minute there and then when I had my son, um, shortly after that, Shannon uh, Knapp, who owns Invicta, yeah. just kind of, I mean, literally just called me out of the blue and said, hey, Marlos Kunin's coming to a fight. We need someone. We don't have a sideline reporter. Would you be interested in just doing an interview with her? And I said, Shannon, I have never looked at a camera. <laughs> I've never written an interview. I don't even really know what an interview is other than just asking questions, I guess. So that was my level of experience. Um, That's all and, you need to know, though. Yeah. And, I'm doing it. So how hard can it be? <laughs> Stop. But, uh, so she just kind of threw me in there. And um, I should probably go back and look at that. I'm sure it was horrible. <laughs> uh, I know my first in-ring Octagon interviews were terrible, but uh, so shortly after that, uh, she decided or Invicta decided to kind of break up the color commentary and in-cage post-fight mm -hmm. interview role. And again, random call from Shannon Knapp. She said, hey, would you like to do this? And to be honest with you, I was, I was struggling with motherhood. I was struggling with postpartum depression. It wasn't really back training and I didn't really kind of know what direction it was like I felt like I was at a fork in the road do I become a hundred percent mom or a hundred percent fighter and I was feeling a lot of inner conflict about that so it felt like kind of a nice middle road yeah and uh, I said yes and that's kind of the end of it so yeah zero zero <laughs> television zero broadcast zero journalistic training which is why by the way I never ever ever refer to myself as a journalist because I'm 100 not a journalist I'm a TV talkie person. TV talkie yeah, person. That's, that's a good definition. Yep. Twitter will like that because yeah. there's a whole debate going on right now. I don't know if you know. They, oh. They're always deciding who's a journalist and who isn't. And I'm well, just put, like, me the not, <laughs> put me in the not column. I am not. I mean, I and, and I'm open about that. Like I, I work for the UFC. You know, that's kind of an, a, in this industry. Yeah. That's a big thing, too. I work for the UFC. That is who pays me. So mm -hmm. I'm not entirely unbiased. I've never been told by the UFC, say this, don't say that. I can tell you that for a fact, but I'm aware that I'm probably not going to sit there and have a conversation about whether the fighters should unionize or not. Yeah. Right. Like that's, I'm, so that makes me to some degree unbiased. So yeah. put me in the, I'm not a journalist category. I talk on television. I play a reporter and you know, that's kind of the extent of it, but I love it. You talked a little bit just now about how, dealing with postpartum depression, and I think I did, I did not know that you had to go through that. So uh, tell tell me just a little bit about just that experience and how was getting into TV and to, did it help you like sort of break out of that? I definitely think it did. You know, it's funny that we're having this conversation because I've honestly never what you just said. I've never really put two and two together, but I do believe you're right because I think part of my postpartum depression was a little bit of an identity crisis, if I'm being honest, because I went from what I thought was the start, you know, I, I got a finish in my first pro fight. It was kind of, a, you know, felt like a big deal at yeah. the moment. And I was getting, starting to get a lot of attention, had my next fight lined up, was in camp, all that stuff. So I felt like I was on this path of, I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to pursue this dream, yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden you wake up 
and you know your boobs weigh five pounds each, <laughs> and you know there's a little human that constantly, I would imagine. you know, ne- needs. And yeah. and it's not that I, it's not that I. Of course, I, I loved my son, but I'll tell you honestly, I, it was a weird experience for me because when he was born, I didn't. I was almost mad at myself because I didn't have that movie moment of like just weeping with joy yeah. and being, I'm going to start crying, being overcome <laughs> with love for him immediately. I loved oh. him, but I felt, I was like, oh my God, who's this little stranger? I don't know you. And like, I don't know how to take care of you yet. You know, motherhood the first time out is so scary. So anyway. How old were you? I mean, and I was 30. How old am I now? I'm, I'm almost 37. So I would have been about 31. Okay, I'm so 30 not, and I, would yeah. do, I, I have no idea how to be a mother. Yeah, so like, I don't think you do until you do it and just kind of figure it out. So there was, there was that. A lot of it was identity crisis. A lot of it was like I went from, you know, shredded abs to <laughs> mom bod. Yeah. Really what felt like really quickly. I didn't feel like I could, you know, I wasn't training anymore. And if anything, you know, what I love about MMA is it has been my, my Prozac for, you know, 12 years now. It's three, three separate major bouts with like depression and MMA has every single time been the, the thing that got me out of it. So, but, but in that time it was harder to do cause I couldn't train mm-hmm. a ton with being a new mom. And then, like you say, when this super opportunity came along, it was like, okay, I can have an identity outside of being mom. I can still be really close to the sport that I love so much, but not have to be in the gym seven hours a day yeah. destroying my body for, you know, a few thousand bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you were, so you were already in camp when you got pregnant? Yeah. Yeah, I was. I, I, so back when, back when I was fighting, and it's not like it's ancient years ago, but, you know, MMA is evolving really yeah. quickly. So back in it the day. Uh, 2013, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, good job. Back in the day. <laughs> I'm almost like a journalist. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Close it up. Back in the day, you know, not a lot of people, I don't want to say they didn't care, but like the priority at my gym was the guys in the UFC. So like, okay, Laura, go, go cut your weight, go do your thing. You know, yeah. I didn't get a lot of help with cutting weight, I guess is my point. And, um, I didn't know how to do it. I'd never used a nutritionist and I had a really, really hard time with my previous cut to 105. And I had read online obviously birth control can make you retain water pretty yeah. badly. So I was researching a different type of birth control that wouldn't make me retain so much water. Thought I had really calculated the transition from the old one to the new one. Apparently did not. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, I'm now I'm forgetting your initial question. I apologize. No, no it was just like, it's early. It's not camp. early, but it's, it's, yes, I was, yeah, I was in camp. I was in camp when I got pregnant. It was early in the camp, but I want to say I'm one of the first people to have to pull out of a fight. Um, I had to pull out because my husband didn't pull out. That's what I like to say. <laughs> I love this sentence. I love it's going to be the title of the podcast. So I'm just sorry in advance. <laughs> Laura Seiko, I had to pull out. So that's okay. So uh, after, so you never fought again, obviously professionally, but. Um, I would imagine that this helped sort of fill that hole in a way, but did it fuel it all the way through? Because it's different, right? Like you probably had a very competitive vibe and that's a little bit different. Yeah, it, it, there's definitely, when I get around, every time I'm here for a fight week, I kind of get the, the itch as they say. But, um, you know, a couple months ago, I was like, man, I'm going to get back in the gym. I'm going to do every pro practice. And I think that lasted about a week. And I was like, fuck <laughs> that. That is so hard. <laughs> you know, so it's like in my mind, I would love to get back in there. I do still train, not even remotely on the level mm-hmm. that I would if I was uh, fighting professionally. But you're right. The um, Being in front of a camera, I think because I wasn't trained in it, it's still very scary and nerve-wracking for me. I get super nervous before every you know, every time I'm on camera. So there's that, there is that adrenaline rush and that like, Oh, I survived it kind of relief yeah. feeling that is similar to fighting. So in some ways, yeah, I did feel that. That was actually my next question because I, uh, I mean, 
I do this, but like when whenever there's a camera involved, yeah. I freak out. I get very nervous. I think a lot of people don't really understand how much it changes to just have like that camera on your face. And I keep thinking like, oh my God, and I'm sort of trained. Like I went to school for journalism. Yeah. So how, it, how were the nerves for you? Like at first, especially I would imagine, like how did you get over there? Did you have stage fright? Oh, hugely so. And I remember, I remember after my very first Invicta show doing the post-fight in-cage interviews, I called my husband and I said, well, uh, how, you know, how did I do? How did I sound? He said, well. <laughs> well is never well. a good start. <laughs> he said, you did well. You did good. You kind of sounded like you had a stroke. <laughs> He's a very honest guy. And he goes, I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, you were just, he said, you were speaking at a very measured pace. And I think I was talking really slowly because I was so worried about tripping on my words yeah. that I was speaking very slowly. I mean, at least people understood what I, you were at least, saying. At least I articulated. I didn't stumble too much. Uh, obviously, it wasn't so bad that they didn't ask me back. Yeah. And it just... It just takes reps. I mean, there are th some things that are not as nerve-wracking now, but, you know, as I grow and start to do more uh, stuff, uh, Dana White's Contender Series is always a fun one for me because um, it's all live. Yeah. Some of the – not all, but about half of the stuff I end up doing for ESPN is taped. You know, you obviously don't ever want to do a second take, take but sort of there's always that thing in the back of your head, like, okay, if I completely screw this up, mm -hmm. we can redo it, you know. Contender series, not the case, right? So to be honest with you, the thing I get the most nervous about now, this is going to sound so stupid, announcing <laughs> announcing the winners, playing Bruce Buffer on Dana White's Contender Series. I can totally see that. It's the bane of my existence. <laughs> I want them so badly to be like, you know, we're just going to hire a real announcer. You don't have to do that anymore. But what is it? Is it like getting the name wrong? Like it's, what is... It's getting the name wrong. It's accidentally reading the decision the wrong. wrong oh like a like a harvey what was the name of the miss universe yes um, uh, steve harvey steve harvey yeah. like having a steve harvey moment yes. <laughs> having a steve harvey moment and so i when i go i make myself and they make fun of me i make myself a cheat sheet for every single fight mm. i have a cheat sheet <laughs> this literally this is so embarrassing a script of every given possibility for that fight. So there's like, I want to say there's maybe 16 different possibilities. You write all of them now. Yes. <laughs> I write every judge's name. So all I have to do is circle their name. Yeah. And then I always double check with the commission. I'm like, okay, so this judge had this, this, because I'm so terrified of getting it wrong. And Dana White's sitting right there, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. How long does it take for you to prepare? Because I would have, it That's seemed like, <laughs> I, I, it took forever at first. I've made a template. <laughs> you, you found your process. I did. I have found my process. I made a template. So all I have to do is uh, fill in uh, for each bout, you know, either fighter's name, every single judge's name, uh, draw, split draw, straight draw, uh, unanimous decision, split decision with different <laughs> scores, split or unanimous de decision with different scores, unanimous decision with the same scores. Like there are a number of possibilities. It's surprising how many possibilities there are when you think about it. But yeah. Uh, I know some people are very methodical, like John Ennick is known for being like neurotic about his pre-fight preparation. You're like that as well. Do you have like a bunch of material to study? Like, do, do you, do you really get really serious about that? Yeah. I, another thing that my husband kind of teases me about, he's like, you know, you know, you realize if you were actually to break down what you get paid and calculate it by the hour, you'd be like <laughs> making minimum wage, right? <laughs> because I do. And part you're, of it, your husband sounds like a very interesting person. <laughs> he's pretty frank. He's um, I, I just, I would a million times, and maybe it goes back to not being trained, but I would a million times rather be ridiculously overprepared than underprepared. And part of it is I really, I, I love the game so much. Having, having been a fighter, it's important to me that I not, it's not that I can always ask a really interesting question. Sometimes mm -hmm. there just aren't that many yeah. interesting questions to uh, ask. But, aware. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but if I know the fighter's game, really well and I know the opponent's mm -hmm. game really well then potentially you can ask more than just the what was your game plan yeah. you know did anything surprise you sometimes you have to rely on those questions and sometimes those are the questions that you need to ask but I do try to get really in depth with my with my research particularly I again I love the contender series because on that show so much of it is about the story of the fighter themselves mm -hmm. and that's that's what really motivates me like when Tracy Cortez won last night she and she about her brother right because yes. she yeah and she came over, you know, and I was there all through her Invicta career. Oh. And then also 
when she won the contract. So I feel like she and I know, know each other really well. And I've been, I, what's crazy and what I love about what I do is like, I'm able, not that the moment's about me, but I am present yeah. in the biggest moment of these people's lives, particularly in the contender series when they're winning a contract. And that it's such an honor. And like, mm-hmm. I want to be really respectful of that moment and make it all about them. But I've been there for those moments with Tracy. So mm-hmm. when she won last night and she walked over to the ESPN, both of us just burst out crying. I was Aww. like, you're going to have to give us to me. It's so <laughs> And then even in the interview. I'm too emotionally invested I, in this I, situation. I even in the interview, um, it's kind of a running joke. Like, at what point is Laura going to fall on sob on television? And I almost <laughs> did it last night because, I mean, what an amazing story to have her brother and her mother passed away from cancer. And I don't know if you know the story about her, the tattoo on her arm. No, I was actually going to, so Tracy Cortez, uh, just to give it context to you guys, she had her UFC debut uh, yesterday here in Sao Paulo. She won and she had, she actually started a contender series and she talked about her brother. He had cancer in his heart, right? Mm -hmm. And he passed away and he's the reason why she's a fighter. So she got really emotional talking about it. She got emotional up there in the octagon. She cried. It was very, I didn't see, I didn't get to see Laura's interview, but everybody was crying pretty much. So uh, go ahead. uh, Please tell me about the tattoo because I don't know the story. It's an amazing story. So Tracy lost both her brother and her mother to cancer when she was a teenager. So her older brother, Jose, uh, was the first. She's she's the youngest. She's Mm -hmm. got three older brothers. Um, And Jose was the first of them to start doing MMA. Mm -hmm. And it was always his dream to be in the UFC. But even before that was even like a realistic possibility for him, uh, he had this picture taken on vacation where he happened to be wearing a UFC shirt. So fast forward, he actually had a fight and she said it was the strangest thing walking, watching him because he was a phenomenal athlete and he just couldn't catch his breath. And that prompted him to go to the doctor and he had a tumor in his heart. And uh, not long after that, d- passed away mm-hmm. from cancer. And then five years after that, her mother passed away from thyroid cancer. And her mom, after Jose died, her mom was the biggest influence in terms of saying, you know, you should, you should go do MMA. You mm-hmm. should do this. You should pursue this. This is your dream. Go do it, baby. And... Um, when she walks to the octagon, that necklace that she wears has her brother's ashes in it. Oh. And the tattoo that she has on her arm is that picture that he took on vacation. And so she got that tattoo before she even started fighting. So the fact that she has a picture of her brother wearing a UFC shirt and she was the one. I think Laura's going to cry, guys. <laughs> and she was, you know, and she's the one out there entering the octagon for the first time with his ashes, you know, around her neck. It's just amazing. It's so, so cool. Like, I, I get so, I get really emotionally invested in honestly about everybody that I interview because it, it's such a it's such a brutal sport in a literal sense but it's such a brutal sport in the sense that you are so um you're so naked out there mm-hmm. I, I can't think of another sport where obviously there are individual sports but then you know it, it's an individual sport where if you lose you're literally getting humiliated yeah. you know by another person and add on top of that you're not wearing much clothing. Like people can, people judge your body. They yeah. judge your efforts. It's such a naked, naked uh, sport. So anybody that does it, I don't care if you win or lose. I don't care if you're fighting a teammate of mine. I respect, you know, for the people that do this sport. And you have like an interesting perspective, I think, in many ways. I want to go back to talking about motherhood for a bit, yeah. just because I think that's not something we talk about a lot. Yeah. There aren't that many women in the sport to even begin with. So having gone through everything that you went through at first, and then you see somebody like Mackenzie there mm. fighting just like four months after giving birth <laughs> to, to a human person. I'm not a mom, so I have no idea. But it, just looking at it, how, how impressive does that look for you knowing what you went through? It's so impressive. And I will be the first to admit that I was one of those people that was like, Mackenzie, what are you thinking? <laughs> what are you doing? I, I will, and I'll sit here and say, I was wrong to say that, you know, A, it's not up to me, first of all, <laughs> but B, it's true. I mean, every, every woman and every woman's body reacts differently to pregnancy and it is, but I don't care who you are. It is a lot to go through and kudos to her for making that happen and making weight and, you know, looking like a beast out there. I mean, that was, yeah, that was incredible. I, I've seen it. I've seen it happen the other way a lot too, though. Um, a good friend of mine fought, I think four months after having her child and she broke her orbital. And I remember the doctor saying that, um, they felt like maybe it was partly because of the pregnancy where so much calcium gets Mm -hmm. sucked out of all of your bones 
both for breastfeeding and just through the pregnancy itself that they said, you know, you may not have had this injury if you, if you yeah. Wow. And that's something like we don't even think yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. The, the toll and, and I think Mackenzie was still breastfeeding, right? She was. That, that's insane. To me. I think in a way it helped her with the weight. Yeah. But see, and see for me, and I don't know if it's because I fought at such a low weight class, but for me, I couldn't, I could not lose the last five pounds until I quit breastfeeding. So I do think, I do think it speeds up and then, the initial whatever you gained that was like extra, extra fluff. But for me, at least, truly leaning out was mm-hmm. impossible. Impossible. Mackenzie's not a super lean fighter, so maybe yeah. that really helped her though, because you do you burn a hell of a lot of calories. That's for sure. You talked about the vulnerable position of the fighters. And it's something that I think about. As somebody who's never fought, I can't really relate in the way that you can. But uh, you're also in a different type of vulnerable position. You're, you have a public job. And we know that when you're, you have a public job, people have public opinions about your public job. <laughs> how, how do you deal with that? I mean, you, you, you joke about it and just having those online interactions. But first, let's start with just the job part of it. I'm sure you have plenty of people being like, you should do this, you should do that. How is it? Is that part of it hard for you at all? Um, I think it, it is. I'll, I'll admit that it is. I'm kind of a uh, sensitive person by nature. I try not to be, but I, if I'll, I'll admit that I am. Although I've definitely, I've gotten better about taking criticism. And the crazier the criticism is, the easier it is to just laugh it off. Honestly, it's the stuff that kind of hits close to home. <laughs> that's like, oh. When you're already sort of thinking about yeah. it, like, oh, I didn't do that well in that one. And then somebody's like, yeah, you did not do well. <laughs> yeah, that, those are the ones that are like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I started doing um, play-by-play commentary for Invicta, which I don't know this for a fact, but I want to say I'm the first woman to do play-by-play mm-hmm. for a major MMA promotion. And it's not that I'm doing, uh, that's not that I'm hitting it out of the park because <laughs> it's, it's a role that I'm not, I'm, I'm still really new to. And to be honest with you, that isn't necessarily, doesn't come easily to me. Um, but that one was tough because there was definitely, uh, definitely some, uh, criticism of my voice when I get excited. <laughs> and it was one of those things where I was, I was like, as I was doing it, I thought, man, it's happening. I didn't want to be, it's really hard to be a woman in play-by-play yes. because it's hard to not allow your voice to go high. When Dude, but they, when Joe Rogan does it, people love it. I know. Listen, <laughs> we, this is an interesting discussion because I do think, I don't want to say it's sexism. I think it's kind of um, maybe inbred in everybody's psyche. Even I, as a woman, when I listen to other women play-by-play uh, people, whether football, basketball, or whatever, my ear picks up on it differently. Just, I think it's just I because it's habit. Ignore. It's habit. It's not what you're used to. Yeah. So it sticks out a little bit more. And then when you get someone like me who's not experienced at doing it and something cool happens, and I'm going, whoa, whoa, <laughs> you know. I understand why people would, you know, not necessarily love that. <laughs> so I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> you did mention it because it's not um, – okay, so I have this opinion. My it could be just me being feminist, angry feminist. Uh, but <laughs> – Uh, I think that in MMA and and in sports in general, like we're allowed certain roles, right? Like you can be a reporter, you can be a, like they'll like you. But when it comes to, uh, I think play by play, and I think people are, what you said is very much true. They want to give people something that they're used to. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like, they might not want to risk it, but at the same, uh, something else like opinions. I feel like the female opinion is something that a lot of people Sometimes it's not even like malicious. Yeah. Like the person's not necessarily an asshole, but Mm -hmm. sometimes they are. But they don't even realize it just because it's out of the norm. Do you feel that way too? Like that we still, those, there's a culture that doesn't allow us to have certain roles. I do. I think, I think to a degree that that's true. But I I would definitely emphasize that I, I think most of the time, certainly there are times, most of the time it's not malicious. It's just a subconscious habit that all of us have, um, within this industry, um, particularly the people that are in a position to, you know, put people in those roles. I think it's, it's, it's a male, it's still a male dominated sport. So, you know, it's still unusual to see women as analysts. It happens. It's Mm -hmm. happening more. It's still unusual to see women as analysts in football. It's still unusually unusual to see women as analysts in the NBA baseball. They are there. But it's not 50-50. It's not, certainly not the norm. And, and that's true of MMA as well. And MMA is still a very, very young sport. It's a young sport in terms of its 
broadcasting life. So, I, you know, I think that, I do think that those things are changing though. I, you know, my, what you just said is honestly my biggest, I don't want to say frustration because I do feel like opportunities are starting to come, but there are opportunities that I feel like I have to really scratch at, like I have to really, really be like, no, this is what I want to do. I want to do this because traditionally speaking, women in MMA broadcasting or broadcast sports broadcasting in general are hosts and they are reporters. Um, and that's usually, that's usually it. You know, when you look at a desk show, there's a, a lot of times a female host, but the analysts yeah. are our guys. Our guys. A lot of times that makes sense because they want to use people who fought in the sport, who played football, who did, ba- you know, whatever it is. Um, and then the reporters, sometimes you'll get male reporters, but you look at the NFL. I think most of the sideline reporters uh, are female. They're a female. So there are sort of sort of these traditional norms. And I do think it takes, you know, knocking at the door and be like, no, I, w- I would like to try this. And here's why I think I would be good at it. Here's why I think I'm credible. Um I hope in the next year or two to have more opportunities where I can insert my opinion yeah. because I have a lot of <laughs> I have no, I have opinions. I have, and, and to the credit of the UFC, um, I think just now I, I'm kind of in the position where they are starting to give me more, a little bit more leash in mm-hmm. terms of inserting my fight knowledge, inserting what I think could happen in a fight, what I think should happen in a fight. Um, not a lot of that stuff necessarily makes it to the major broadcast, but uh, there are things in the hopper right now that I think are going to be really cool. And I think you got to see probably a lot of change. You were talking about when you were at the gym at first Mm -hmm. and a lot of the focus was like on the male, right? The male fighters, the UFC guys. And you like, it's 2013. So women were just getting to the UFC. Um, How much, and now you still train and I think you're around gyms, Mm -hmm. even if you're not training as a pro, but how much of that do you think has changed over what is to me an essentially short period of time in terms of just attitude toward female fighters? A lot. It has changed a lot and it's awesome to see. I don't think it's entirely, again, it's not the norm. I think you're still going to see maybe a few raised eyebrows when a, a girl walks into the gym for the first time. Um, but I can tell, you know, I started training back in 2007 and maybe less so in my home glory of uh, home gym of glory. But when I, I, I lived in New York city for a couple of years and I lived in um, California for a couple of years. And when I was in California, I definitely can remember walking into the gym out there and getting the, like, you want to do what? I was like, I'm here to <laughs> sign up. I'm here to sign up for the pro MMA classes. And they're like, what? I'm sorry. What? But do you think maybe the way that, because we were talking about it, like you have this look, yeah, you know, you're that. blonde and, yeah. you know, I, I, I never want to say cute because I think that's like a patriarchal thing, but you're conventionally, <laughs> I'm good. You have, I mean, I think you have a look that a lot of people prob- might underestimate you yeah. just by looking at you. And I, when I, you know, I, even thinking about you as a fighter, I would imagine that's something that a lot of people think. Do you think that played a role that people sort of looked at you and sort of dismissed you because of the way you look? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's part of it. And again, I think putting people into categories is a natural psychological mechanism. Yeah. And it's not always that that person has, again, bad intentions. Mm-hmm. It happens in your brain. You see someone, you have to put them into a category so you know how to uh, first relate to them. Yeah. That's what your brain tells you to do. And it's important and it's hard to kind of retrain your brain to not make assumptions, right? Yeah. You know, that's a big that's a big topic for so many, so many different things. So yeah, I do think maybe my blonde, I'm small, I'm not exactly, you know, like some shredded up, like, oh, I'm here to train, you know, they maybe would have gotten a different reaction had I been that. But I I was always very big on, um, when I showed up at a new gym, I kind of, part of me kind of enjoyed that look because I knew in the back of my mind that I was going to show up at the class on time and I would outwork anybody in that class, male or female. And the gym in California I'm talking about, I would say within a couple weeks, I was one of the guys. And that to yeah. me was always like a little uh, badge of honor. You know, when I, when, I, when I had that moment where I was like, oh, they get me now. Like I'm here and, and they're not going to treat me differently. And like I'm, I'm one of the guys. And it sounds weird to say that like becoming one of the guys. No, I, I, but I get what you're is, getting Is at. something yeah. to strive for. But yeah. in this industry, you know, it, ki- it kind of is. It kind of is. And I, I, I don't sacrifice um, my own concept of femininity necessarily. But mm-hmm. um it's nice to be recognized for my hard work, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But you did use a word that I find 
emblematic yeah. for us, our work. Because I do feel like sometimes it's in the back of our heads that we need to outwork people yeah. when sometimes men don't even have that concern. They're just like, I'm just going to have to show up and mm -hmm. do work. And it's just there that we have to really work. Yeah. You feel like sometimes that you have to work twice as hard to get taken seriously. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of my nature in general <laughs> yeah. is to over again over prepare. I'm I'm an A type. I'm you know <laughs> I was summa cum laude. Like I'm kind of a nerd <laughs> at heart, and I don't I don't like to do anything half assed. Half -assed. So uh, that's kind of me naturally. But I do I do think that um, I, I I'm trying sitting here trying to decide if that's me naturally or or if that's the position. I mean probably a little bit of both. But um, I would say in this role for me personally that feeling probably stems more from what you said earlier, where yeah. it's like, I'm very aware sometimes that like, I didn't go to school <laughs> to do this. I'm just winging I'm it, man. You know, yeah. Like I, there are times I'm like, I, I feel not like a fraud, but again, when someone refers to me as a journalist on Twitter or whatever, yeah. like, Oh, you're my favorite journalist. I'm like, I'm not a journalist. Stop. Stop. Don't, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. It's crazy because I was going to ask you about that just now. The word that you, you use, fraud. Uh, I have many struggles with imposter syndrome. Like, I'll just look at it and be like, I'm fooling everybody. I talk to, I talk, because it's just like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm just, people somehow are buying it, but they're going to find out. Yeah. Like, this is the week. Yes. <laughs> Do you feel that way? Every single show, every single show. I don't know, this is so embarrassing to admit. But almost every single show, the day of the show, I call my husband. I'm almost in tears. I'm like, I feel so unprepared. <laughs> They keep changing stuff on me. I don't know what's happening. I'm late. I can't find my curling iron. I can't. They, my hairdryer doesn't work in Priscilla. I'm late. It's not working. And like, this is going to be the time where I go out there and look like an idiot. And they go, oh, we knew all along. Like, you weren't meant to be here. That imposter syndrome. Oh, my gosh. That is the story of my life. But I will tell you this. Like, looking back on... You know, because I've had completely other careers, unrelated stuff, and it's the same thing. If you don't feel that way, then you're not growing. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't feel massively underqualified for what you're doing, then you're not doing enough. You know, I mm -hmm. think everybody should have that moment where they get, hey, get asked, hey, would you like to have this opportunity? Your brain goes, oh, shit, I'm not ready for that. Mm -hmm. And you put out of your mouth comes, yeah, sure, I'll do that. You know, that's a good yeah. position to be in. And it's scary. But that's where that adrenaline rush comes in. It and keeps you on your toes, right? It keeps you on your toes. And I feel like any time I've making, I've making. <laughs> Words are hard. Words are hard on the morning after a <laughs> Every time I have made uh, a leap in any uh any job I've had, it has been in those moments of, oh gosh, I'm not qualified to do this, but yeah, I'll give it a try. What other careers have you had? Uh, so I was an early stage venture capital before um, I started doing... You are a nerd. Uh, totally, totally, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I went to, even, even more nerdy, I was a music major initially. Wow. Oh yeah, touring, choir, the piano performance major, scholarship, the whole works. Oh wow. Yeah. But so you've really done all the things. Yeah. Like you so many different so you fought in a cage and then you play the piano and then yeah. venture capital, yeah. which I don't even know what it is to be honest. I'll just play the language card, no, but no, mostly it just seems hard. Yeah. By the way, I wish I could play that, by the way. There's so many times where I'm like the language yeah. card. Just pretend. Yeah. Just say like I'm actually Polish, so I don't know. I don't I don't, I don't understand that one. Um so yeah, so uh I I was After I graduated with a degree in business, I quickly learned that I was not going to be a musician <laughs> professionally. Uh, uh, switched my major to business and then um, started uh, working with one of my former economics professors. We started a small fund in Kansas City to help really, really early stage companies mm -hmm. get started and then get vent actual venture capital funding from you know places out in California and whatnot. And then I jumped ship from working as a fund to working within one of the startups, which is when I moved to New York City. So I was worked for an internet startup and helped was like getting, it was one of three people to found it and get it started, lived out in New York City. And 
it was it was a crazy it was crazy and it was as another it was another industry venture capital yeah. another industry very, dominated very by dominated, dominated yeah. by men a lot of times you walk into a room I was super young at the time I was in my early and mid twenties um, so a lot of times like I'd walk into meetings and I'd get the like <laughs> I'm are you here to take the coffee order like who is this <laughs> she pitching she is she pitching a business or this is the are we giving our lunch order here um, but. I don't know. I kind of enjoy being underestimated too, because yeah. I just like in the gym, there'd be that moment in the meeting or whatever the situation was where I could feel the respect happen, yeah. whether, you know, something I said or whatever. And that was like a little victory in my brain, yeah. I guess, you know. What you, what happens to me a lot is I'll like do an interview over the phone with somebody I do not know. And I think not maliciously, but a lot of people just hear the voice mm -hmm. and they like the first answer to my question is always like very much like they assume I don't know what I'm talking about so I always have that moment and then I'll just like I'll name drop somebody yeah. I'll just like mention a training partner yeah. this guy has no idea that I know about yeah. and then I'm just gonna blow their socks up yeah. and it, it worked it, it totally changes like the the tone of the conversation and I I, I think I sort of enjoy that too. I mm -hmm. wish I didn't have to be in this position, but we are and we're working toward it. But sometimes yeah. I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, yeah. underestimate me, bitch. Yeah. We can't swear in my podcast. Okay. <laughs> but um, how do you go from that to cage fighting? Yeah. Like when did you, how, did, how do you just go like, oh, maybe I just want to be half naked in a cage yeah. fighting other people? Why not? Um, so I grew up doing karate, but not mm -hmm. in any super competitive sense, you know, in the, in the way that a lot of people's kids go take karate lessons, right? I got my black belt in high school and then um, in college, I really didn't, and I was not, still not a natural athlete by any stretch of the imagination. Really? You're no. not? No, 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 no. <laughs> you can ask James, my coach, we were just talking to. Uh, um, James Krause, he won his fight yesterday here in Sao Paulo uh, and uh, he beat Sergio Moraes, I think. Yeah. Words are hard. Fights are hard. Facts yeah. are hard. <laughs> Life is hard this Life morning. Hard. But yeah, so uh, Lauren was just telling me earlier that he has coached her for 13 yeah. years. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Just, the, just the context, yeah. James. So not, not a natural athlete. So I didn't do anything uh, athletic in college at all. I never really played real, real sports in high school. And then after college, um, I first started my career in public relations. And... Um, I so public <laughs> let's recap guys public relations venture capital piano cage fighting play by play ride horses competitively I'm just I'm writing it down I, it, it, I become one of those people that's really annoying to have a conversation with because I'm like, oh, yeah, I've done that. <laughs> no, nothing well. Nothing I've been well. to the moon just like, once. Technically, I didn't step on yeah. it, but I was around the moon. Honestly, I find it kind of annoying myself because it's not like I reached any, like, heights in any of these things. I've just kind I've kind of done a lot of random stuff. Anyway. Um, oh, really? Yes. <laughs> so, long story endless. Um, I got married super young, right out of college yeah. to a guy who was um, significantly older than I was. We won't go into why da, 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 da. it was a total fucking disaster <laughs> and I got uh divorced about six months after I got married okay and I grew up in a very midwest uh conservative religious household and I where had, did you grow up uh I grew up in Kansas City okay. yeah and I had a lot of like that to me getting divorced to me was like the biggest failure of my life at that point I had always been you know the homecoming queen and great grades and then like all of a sudden golden child goes and completely screws up her life by getting married and divorced at the age of 25 or 4 or whatever I was um and that was the first time I really experienced a deep deep depression and as it was happening and as I was going through all this personal turmoil Something inside my head said, you've got to go find a way to get these feelings out. And I started exercising. And when I was just exercising, I saw these guys rolling in the gym I was at. And I thought, you know what? When I was in high school, martial arts was, was a good outlet for yeah. me. I bet I could do that again. But I, I need something more than just punching at the air mm. and, and, you know, doing kata. So I, that's how I found MMA is, is through having that tough time in my life yeah. and seeking it out. Yeah. How did your conservative household react to that? 
to the MMA or the yeah, divorce? To the, MMA. <laughs> <laughs> to the divorce, I would imagine not well, but to yeah. MMA. Oh yeah, it was it was it was a rough period in, in my life. I I yeah, a lot of stuff was like all of a sudden, you know, my brother was smart. He he made some shitty decisions in high school. Okay. He got in trouble a little bit. Like, and like then he, he sorted and, himself oh, out. And then he got married at 24 <laughs> and he's still married to the same woman. They've got a beautiful family. You did like, the, the opposite I route. The opposite, yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. I was like prodigy, like very yes. promising. Everybody was like, she's going to be something. And then I, and then MMA happened and my life went very <laughs> south. And here I am. <laughs> yeah. so my parents thought, I'm sure they thought I was bat shit crazy. I, uh, they, 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 they loved me through everything and they, they love me today, but there's definitely, I mean, I'm very different than they are. We have very different mindsets on a lot of different things. Um, they don't understand MMA at all. And not even in the literal sense of like, they don't understand what's happening. Like they don't get it. They, it's so like, why is this happening? It's kind of gross to them, to be honest. They're not, yeah. they're not athletic people. They're not, um, confrontational people. They're sort of intellectuals and white collary, oh so they're like, well, what is this, <laughs> you know, stuff. Um, but to their credit, like the other week, uh, my mom came and visited, and she wanted to know how my gig in New York had gone. And I was trying to explain to her what the BMF title was. Oh, no. And also my parents, can, also my I can only imagine this conversation. I have never heard my parents <laughs> swear in my entire life. Oh. I've never... Un, no, it was not until I turned 21 that I ever saw them even consume half a glass of wine. So, like, very conservative people. I, I cannot was, relate to that. My mom is a total alcoholic. Well, <laughs> under control and very much a uh, foul-mouthed communist. Yeah, in but a fun way. <laughs> but in a fun way. Just, yeah. It's a party. So I was trying to explain to my mom what the BMF title was. And bless her heart, like... I was giving the backstory on who Nate Diaz is, who Jorge Mazadal is. I'm showing her like the interview where Jorge ran off and punched Leon Edwards when I was interviewing. Which was amazing, by the way. Amazing. You were there for, you're part of history. You're there for the three piece and a soda, which I didn't get, I didn't even understand what that was, by the way. My hand has millions of views. Like this, this mic hand right here, that's the most famous part of me right there. Beautiful. You should take a picture and just frame the photo. Because the rest of me did not make it in the clip. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was crazy. And I, did she get close to understanding? Cause like, yeah. I, I, I would imagine that Diaz's and Masvidal's appeal is so specific. Mm -hmm. Like you, we just love them. We don't yeah. know why. Like you just think they're awesome. Like yeah. that's how I feel about them. Yeah. She, <laughs> to her credit, she, she likes, she likes getting behind people. She's like me. She likes Got investing it. in people. So I was trying to give her the story of like, you know, both these guys, really grew up in kind of rough situations. You know, they, they're, they're self-made. Yeah, they're self-made. Their credibility comes from being guys who actually would, you know, would fight on the street regardless of whether they're getting paid or not. So while that is not something she has any experience with, she kind of was like, oh, let's tell me more. Tell me more. And she was wanting um, to see clips cool. and stuff. So to their credit, they, they, they do try. But <laughs> my dad still will not watch a fight to this day. It's kind of like too violent for him, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, I... I think it's interesting. It's something I talk a lot about in the my the name of my last episode was I just have a lot of feelings. Yes. So the, <laughs> that's just how I how we do it here. <laughs> but because uh, you talked about dealing with depression, I think mm -hmm. when people see you and see a lot of public people doing public jobs and that you guys are good at, they don't you don't think about it. Yeah. You don't think this person has struggled, is struggling, is even nervous and depression, postpartum depression. I think. And I do feel that in MMA, we're starting to have these conversations more. Even it's coming from fighters. Like I think Darren Till, when he talked about, you know, being scared and things like that. I loved that. I loved that so much. And I had so much respect for him when he was just on. He's like, I was ready to fake an injury. I was like, yes. A lot of people probably feel that way and don't talk about it. I have heard other fighters say that. They just don't say it publicly. I think he's Stephen Thompson even got close to saying he's, I think he said something like, he's like, man, I was kind of wishing just like the electricity would glow out in the building. You know, it's the same feeling. You just want something calamitous to happen to where you don't have to go do what you promised everyone you were going to do. And all of a sudden you just want to run away. I think Every fighter feels that to a degree. Maybe, maybe not every fighter. Yeah. A lot. A lot. Some of them were just wired differently. Yeah. I think I have I don't this know theory. that Jorge Mazda ever feels that way. <laughs> I'm gonna go out there and say that I'm gonna put that out there, but I would say I would say a lot of them yeah. do. And do you think that it's cool? I I because I I think maybe I'm just projecting I do that a lot, but mm -hmm. um 
I do feel like in society as a whole, but in MMA, which as we know, male dominated, very, still very macho, but when fighters are starting to come forward and say, I see a sports coach, I see a psychologist, uh, um, Ronaldo Jacare was talking about dealing with burnout mm-hmm. and being like super, like crying on his way yeah. to the gym for, um, do you, do you think that it's important that we're finally beginning to have these conversations, not just in society, but in a sport like MMA? Oh, it's so important for a sport like MMA. As we know, it's so much of this sport is mental because it's an individual sport. It's a sport where you have to, you have to survive the grind of camp, of camp after camp after camp, year after year after year. And then you have to force yourself to get in a cage and know that you're going to experience some degree of pain, know that you could leave that cage with a really bad injury. I mean, or like I said, it could be humiliated. Or humiliating. I think that's honestly, I think that is way more what people are fearful of, what fighters are feel fearful of than the injuries. I know that was true of me. And like, I don't care if my arm breaks. I just don't want to look dumb. Yeah. I don't want to look like a fool and embarrass the people that trained me and, and, and embarrass myself, you know, and, and have people say, yeah, I told you you shouldn't be doing this, you know. And be on a highlight reel. I feel yeah. like that would be, because my major fear in life is becoming a meme. <laughs> I almost did. I was interviewing a oh, fighter. So <laughs> like, just going viral because I just said something really dumb. But then when you're a fighter, like you're really exposing yourself to oh. that. And you can just see yourself getting on. Like Ben Askren. Yes. He probably sees himself getting knocked out yeah. every day. So I think... A lot of people don't appreciate what you're saying yeah. just now, that this is a part of the sport that, you know, breaking something, yeah, that's annoying. You're going to be out of commission for a while. But, dude, looking silly, yeah. that's probably the hardest part. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to something you said, because you mentioned Chen and App, and a few weeks back I had Leslie Smith. Yeah. 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 Just name dropping. I'm a very famous podcaster. Wow. I have famous people here. Uh, and we were talking, she mentioned Chen and App, and I think a lot of people credit Invicta for the leap in how seriously women were taken as fighters. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that Shannon was behind it because it is a woman. Mm-hmm. So she's looking to portray women in a different way. Like she's not going to put hot girl fights. Like uh, Leslie mentioned something like, oh, she had a makeup artist ready and things like mm-hmm. things that people don't necessarily think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you did talk about, when you were talking about play-by-play, gyms. Do you feel like one thing that's missing is maybe having women in those other positions? Because, like, women in higher positions of power, women promote women. Women talk about women differently. Like, So do you feel like maybe this is something that we need a little more in the sport, just having more female managers, more females in, in did I say females? I sounded like an incel, I'm sorry. <laughs> in those higher positions of power, maybe. Yeah, and I think that that will happen. I, I really do. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while, but um, Shannon is a trailblazer for sure. And it's not just Invicta, but she, she's been, I don't know if you know this, but she started, out, she started her career in the UFC. Yeah. She was... Um, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but she had a close relationship with Dana and Mm -hmm. actually was kind of like a sideline reporter Mm -hmm. for the UFC way, 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 way back when. And then she had uh, an athlete's relation, athlete relations role with um, strike force. She worked for, I mean, she's worked in every major promotion Mm -hmm. just slowly worked her way up to now. She owns one of the major promotions out there. And, I think, you know, you look at what Misha Tate is doing at one, it's happening slowly. I think it's going to be, I think it is going to be a lot of former fighters. So probably another 10 years from now, we're going to see a lot more women, whether it's broadcasting roles, whether it's promoting, whether it's managing. I think, I think in the next five, 10 years, we'll start to see that grow and grow and grow. Maybe I should become a fighter. Just do that so I can have, <laughs> just do that now. So then I can be an executive or something. Um, but what about your goal? So play by play, I've heard you talking about maybe wanting to try these positions in the future. Like, is that your goal right now? Yeah, my goal right now is I and I'm love I'm loving doing the play by play for Invicta. Uh, it's definitely challenging for me because again, it's not my natural skill set. My goal within the UFC is kind of what you said before. I want to be able to do things where I'm able to have an opinion. So. 
my short-term goal is is to be able to um, maybe have a couple of stints as an analyst on the desk, like what Dan Hardy did mm-hmm. last night. Um, the eventual goal would be to do color commentary for the UFC. Um, I, I think that's a long-term goal. You know, I think that uh, it's 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 difficult because, understandably, you know, they want former UFC fighters in that role, yeah. um, but the pool of women who have done that is much smaller. The pool of women who are also comfortable in front of a camera and who have done that is even smaller than that. So I don't know that there are tons and tons of um, women to choose from at the moment. And I'm necessarily not even saying that I'm the best choice for that role, but I hope to be able to do it in the future. In the near future, I think uh, being a desk analyst and, and there's a new role that they kind of uh, have me doing where it sounds a little lighthearted, but it actually is a little bit more analytical than I realized it was going to be. They, they've started having me do um, a social media role for all of the domestic pay-per-views. So during, like during the Madison Square, during the BMF yeah. title, um, I'll go live on Facebook and I'll go live on Instagram. Um, and it's way more involved than I thought. I thought someone was just going to have a phone. <laughs> they had like real cameras yeah. and, you know, the Instagram stuff was actually on a phone, but the Facebook stuff. I had as much production as I do for ESPN, which is kind of crazy, but um, that's kind of fun because it's very off the cuff, but I get to break down fights in that. So even though it's quote unquote, just social media, I mean, the social media accounts for the UFC are huge and they are giving me a lot more of a leash in terms of what I get to talk about, how I get to talk about it. I can break down fighters, make predictions, you know, whatever I need to do in in that role, which I'm not allowed to do as a reporter. They're very, they're pretty strict about when you are a reporter on a show you cannot. You're not allowed to make predictions or picks because, and they've got very, and they've got understandable reasons for it. But I am when I am quote unquote reporter girl. Yeah. I can't insert my opinion. So, I was gonna say you should get a podcast, but you have Aussie and fancy. <laughs> you guys still doing that? Well, you know, it's been we. It's not that we like officially stopped doing mm-hmm. it. I have been so much busier than I used to be, yeah. which is cool. <laughs> but um, when I'm at home, and, and listen, it's not that I couldn't couldn't somehow shove it into my schedule because <laughs> podcasting is fluid and you can do it from anywhere. John Anik somehow manages it. But it's that. really, it's a lot of, I it's do not just, recommend. Yeah, it is way more work than people realize. And to be honest with you, when kind of the, the, the deal with my husband is, you know, as my role has grown with UFC and I'm out of town more and more and more when I'm at home, I want to be at home and not just mm-hmm. constantly studying more fights and thinking about what I'm going to talk about. You know, when I'm at home, I want to be present with my son and my, my family. So I feel like I lead a double life, but it's healthier <laughs> that way. <Yeah. laughs> when we talked about all the uh, jobs that you had, I, <laughs> but one of my, one of my favorite occupations of yours, you could say is clapping back at creeps <laughs> on Instagram. It's, it's you're very good you're I could never I feel like I should be more clever but uh, it's you guys probably know this but Laura is a master if a person says something creepy she just like it's it's almost like a very it's it, it becomes an intellectual exercise yes. so my my first question though how many weird messages on average do you get like in a regular day I would say at least one super one super weird one a day. Um, a lot of anatomy pictures. Um, maybe like one or two of those a week, I guess. Uh, and we were talking about that the other day. And people were like, well, why do you click on the picture? The problem is a lot of times I will get legitimate information in the form of a picture or like an invitation to an event or something in my DMs. So I feel obligated to click on it and then immediately regret it a lot of time. But um, yeah, no, it, it happens more more than I post. I generally only post when I have something really yeah. witty to say in response. <laughs> but those responses, are, so do you, or do they come naturally to oh, you or do yes. you take time oh, to no. sort of? No, I, that's just me. That's just me. And I think part of it is like growing up with an older brother and hanging out with him and all of his friends. Like I was like the little mascot of, of the group. And so I have a very male sense of humor anyway. So I, it's, I think part of it is like, I don't have a knee jerk reaction of like, Oh, oh my God, I'm so, I'm such a delicate flower. I'm offended. I'm like, Oh, 
please. You know, that's, I'm like, whatever, you know? So no, those, those reactions are pretty, they're just off the cuff and they're just <laughs> how my mind works. Uh, my, fa- my favorite, sorry. My favorite is whenever someone, um, makes reference to my, uh, my P word, my pussy, <laughs> throw that out there. I immediately, I respond as Your if they're paw? making, yeah, I respond as if they're making reference to my cat Yes, and I do have a cat and she is crazy. She's never been inside in her life. So that, those are honestly my favorite ones because mm-hmm. I just pretend. I like playing dumb. I like playing really <laughs> dumb. Yeah, and that's fun. But are there ever times, though, I think that being a woman online is a very oh. <laughs> unique experience. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know how it's like until you go through it. And there's creepy ass, but sometimes it's just downright invasive mm-hmm. or just downright rude or, you know... Um, it seems like you take it all <laughs> in stride, but are there ever times, like, sometimes you just have a hard day and you're reading all that negative stuff. Like, there, are there ever times when you just look at your computer or your phone and you're like, oh, I wish this wasn't my life. Yeah, there are. And then I generally just try to put my phone down. You know, yeah. I, I, it, it, is, it, is, uh, it is difficult at times. Um, the, the weirdest, the only time I've really been um, affected by it, to be honest with you, is after I did the sit-down interview with Dana about mm-hmm. Chris Cyborg. Yeah. And the whole lead-up to that is a story in and of itself. But um, that was obviously a very hot, controversial topic. Yeah. I'm sure very much so <laughs> here in Brazil. And uh, that one was tough because, A, that was the one I think where I, I had the most like, no, 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 I'm not a journalist. It is actually not my job in this context to ask really tough follow-up questions. That's my boss. And it's almost like I wish we hadn't called it an interview, although mm-hmm. that's what it was, more like a conversation. Because it was essentially like a um, press release in the form of a conversation, yes. you know. They did not, I will say this, they did not give me questions to ask, but I'm also not going to sit there and put Dana White in the hot seat yeah. because I know that there are quote unquote real journalists who the very next time he does any sort of press conference or scrum, they're going to ask those questions. And that's when he's ready to have those answers. You know, that interview was designed to be his perspective on the stuff that had gone down. I understand that people didn't see it that way. <laughs> and that I, I mean, I got hammered for that one, got absolutely hammered. And, but the only one that really, really affected me <clears throat> was someone threatened to um, kill my family. What did you, for the, in- for that interview? Yeah. yeah, it was crazy. And I was in New Jersey at the time for the Colby Covington card. And I remember at first, I had my normal reaction of like, God, this person's crazy. And I just brushed it off. And then it kind of started eating at me. I was like, this is a weird world we live in. And I, I can't assume that this isn't real. I, I mean, I am assuming it's not real. I'm sure it's not, but there's just that little tiny part of me that's worried now. And that I was like, Whoa, this is weird. This feeling is weird. Yeah. Really, really weird. And that one, that one actually kind of upset me, but it hasn't happened since. It's only happened the one time. So, oh, I think it's one time too many when somebody threatens to kill your family. I, I was trying to have, <laughs> I was trying to have a sense of humor about it publicly. Yeah. I think I put, you know, oh, I've graduated from dick pics to death threats, so moving up in the world, you know. But the, my real reaction was not to was not that humorous. Yeah. 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 Uh, so let's pretend that I'm a positive person and, and not a positive note. Uh, you talked about your hand being famous in the whole three piece of the soda incident and uh, the Tracy interview. But can you think like at the top of your head, one or, you know, a few of your favorite ever moments in the sport? I mean, I'm going to, a lot of them are going to come from, I was going to say a lot of them are going to come from the contender series, yeah. but Jennifer Maya just popped into my head when she won the Invicta title. And I think that was the first time that I actually started crying yeah. um, in an interview or was about to cry. And I don't think I actually did, but I was about to because Jennifer was just weeping. She was so overcome with emotion. She was weeping. Shannon Knapp is standing next to me. She starts tearing up. I'm about to interview her. I, I, 
I'm looking at Jennifer. I look over at Sheen and she starts crying. I'm like, oh God, we're just, <laughs> we're just a bunch of women in the fight game crying, you know? Well, you should watch Tough Brazil. The guys cried all through the first and season. that's why I love Brazilians, all right? Like, we're very, we just have a lot of feelings. It's so much more acceptable. And I could, you know, now that, this is a random thought, but now that you say that, and I meant to ask him about it, um, when he came out and was uh, standing in his corner while Bruce Buffer was making the announcement, I want to say Marcus Perez was like weeping. He, I didn't see it. Yeah. I, I don't know that for a fact, so I don't mean to like, if he wasn't, he'd probably be like, that wasn't fucking crying, but it looked like he was. And it was so touching to me because that's, I mean, this sport is so, so emotionally hard. It is so emotionally hard. And I just, sounds goofy, but like, I want to hug every single, <laughs> that's the other thing I get shit for, Fernanda. I, I, that's the one thing people are like, why do you touch everyone? Why do you? But they all do it. Who is it? I think it's John McCarthy who always does the interviews like with this arm around the person. Some of it is you have to because these people, they're full of adrenaline. You have to try to like tether them down to reality, right? They're all over the place. They're getting out of the shot. So some of it is very practical. Mm -hmm. But for me personally, I literally, I just, I get this like very nurturing feeling when someone is is emotional in my presence and I just want to hold them. (laughs) So I don't know. Sean Woodson comes to mind from the Contender Series. So I don't know. There are many great stories in this. Tanya Avenger. <laughs> that was the one that just popped to my mind. How insane was going through that live? I can't even imagine. I think that you kept your composure very well in a very awkward was, situation. I thought it was hilarious. It didn't bother me at all. Um, it really took me off guard. I was not, I don't know how you can expect that. But my reaction was to find it absolutely so freaking funny. What made me mad after the fact was how much shit she got for I it. And I, I spent days just keyboard warrioring on, uh, on message boards being like, you guys don't have the right to be mad on my behalf. You know, I, I, I was annoyed that people were so angry with her. And a lot of that anger, again, coming from a good place, trying to protect me, these things shouldn't happen. But I'm kind of a big believer, like if it didn't happen to you, don't get mad on my behalf. Mm. You know, she's, she's crazy. We don't know that. She's, she's, she's a crazy bitch. And I would tell that to her face. She is. I think she probably is aware of that as well. <laughs> she's well aware that she's a crazy bitch. Yeah. Okay. So I already took up like an hour of Laura's time. So uh, I think that's a good note for us to end on. Just really wanted to thank you oh. for doing this post fight night. You still look, I think you still have leftover makeup from the I, night before. I still, I still have my lashes on. Fact, fact. <laughs> so thank you so much for doing this. And I thank you guys for listening. Uh, I'll be back here next week. Usually I think about these closers in advance because they're very awkward and I didn't this time. So I'm just rambling. But I'll see you next week for more MMA and other stuff. Bye.